Today I'm here with Jeremy Musigi, who is the founder of Immutable Capital. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started in the crypto space. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. My first major endeavor was uh, an advertising technology company uh, that was called Viral, uh, that then uh, later rebranded to Revenue.com, which actually was acquired earlier this year for $10 million. I also um, was the, uh, I'm the founder of a company called Sesh. It's a digital life coaching platform that is available on the App Store. Uh, when it comes to crypto, during the days of building viral, um, Bitcoin sort of came onto my radar. I think I kind of randomly stumbled upon an article and started reading about it. This was uh, in 2013 or 2012. I think I first started reading about it in 2012 and found it really interesting and kind of started following it and uh, doing some research and, and thinking about it. I started investing in crypto in 2013. So that was Bitcoin, of course, at that time. I invested in the uh, Ethereum ICO in 2014 and basically stayed pretty active as an investor in the space and as, a, as an enthusiast, uh, reading about the technology, talking about it with people. Back then, it was mostly people who didn't know what the hell I was talking about and thought I was kind of crazy. And yeah, I've stayed active in crypto until today, um, basically researching, studying, and investing in the space. Organically, as uh, crypto has now become more uh, widely known and has caught on and the mainstream and the mainstream consciousness, if you will. What started happening a lot was um, that people, uh, friends of mine and family, uh, wanted to ask me about it, and you know, people had a lot of questions. People uh, were asking me for advice, or they would they wanted me to come sit down and explain everything to them, and that uh, organically kind of turned into a, a consulting business. Once someone actually wanted to hire me to actually work with them more extensively on uh, helping them understand the space and helping them um, figure out how to get involved. That uh, consulting business uh, turned into uh, Immutable Capital, which um, started as a consultancy and still is. And there's also a, an investing arm, an investment fund that is currently taking shape. It's in the works. But uh, generally, I would say that uh, what we do at Immutable is that we identify and pursue exciting opportunities in the crypto space. And those can be different opportunities. And some of those are, are very stealth right now. So I won't go into too much detail. I also give talks on crypto, spoken at a few conferences, and I, I really enjoy chatting about it. So excited to chat with you about it today. What are some of the of the things that excite you the most about blockchain and crypto? What gets you fired up about it? First of all, I think blockchain is is a technology that is and will largely change the way our society works. And it has so many different applications or, or potential applications, uh, many of which are being developed today. But really, 
I think that we can't even yet imagine all of the things that we're going to develop uh, using this technology. And I think that's a it's a typical characteristic of a of a revolutionary new wave of technology when the when the internet first was starting to catch mainstream adoption and the first web browser was uh, developed uh, netscape by mark andreessen he was being i think he was speaking in front of an audience and someone asked him a question and said okay well you know you're telling us about this web browser thing you know, and you're telling us about all these websites that are going to exist. What are some websites that you think we're going to be using every day? And he actually like really didn't have an answer to that question. And he, he kind of was stuck. And it's, it's really uh, interesting and funny to think back uh, to that moment now. Uh, but I think that that's the type of moment generally that we're in with crypto. So that was a very long-winded answer. But what am I most excited about? I'm very excited about how I think some of the, the governance uh, mechanisms and uh, the ways of organizing blockchain networks that startup teams today are experimenting with and developing, I think can have a major impact in how government in general may work in the future. Because on a, on a fundamental level, a blockchain is a system for organizing large numbers of people in a way that aligns their incentives and allows them to share value in one way or another, whether that's in um, transactional, like financial transactions or um, operating other types of networks that are mutually beneficial to everyone involved. But Basically, a blockchain is a, is a uh, set of rules that everyone agrees to follow. And it's a system that in which, as long as it remains secure, none of those people can cheat. And that enables large numbers of people to accomplish things together when you think about it in a societal uh, context. So I think that I'm very excited for how this can uh, apply to how cities, states, countries, Etc. can be run in the future more efficiently, more fairly, more transparently, uh, in a way where everyone has a voice. So that's one thing. Another thing that I've been that's been on my mind lately is how this can affect uh, developing countries. Uh, this blo- how blockchain technology can uh, change people's lives in the third world, and I. Uh, have spent some time in in developing world uh, recently. I was on a trip to East Africa. I was in uh, Rwanda, Uganda, and Ethiopia. Previously, I spent a year living in Brazil. So I've had a, a first look at the day-to-day systems that are being used, the technologies that are available to the common person, how they get things done, and... Um, a lot of the limitations that they run into and how a lot of things are really unfair for people in those countries. And I think that um, blockchain technology can be a, a really incredible solution and it can be very liberating for people in places like that. I love this topic and I think it's really interesting. Why does it matter for de- uh, people in developing countries to have access to crypto? So first of all, in developing countries, what I've noticed is that Corporations often have more latitude to be 
abusive in the way that they treat their treat consumers. Industries are more monopolized, and uh, these uh, huge companies that control industries have you know deep government ties, so um, their businesses are, I would say, like unfairly defensible, and where they don't really need to worry about how you feel as their customer, and they can charge you unfair rates. They can you know, provide you horrible or, or non-existent customer service. I experienced this living in Brazil with mobile carriers, for example, the types of plans that they were offering there. For, I grew up in the United States, so the, the plans that they offer for a mobile internet and, and you know, talk and text are crazy. How little you get and, and, and how much they charge you for it and how poorly it works. So there's a lack of competition, there's a lack of transparency. And so one of the major effects of blockchain-based networks is what's called disintermediation. So breaking free of intermediaries who have too much control and can, for example, charge fees that would be considered abusive uh, compared to other markets that are more open and, and competitive. Can you give an example of that, like in a day-to-day scenario that that could be applied to? I mean, I guess mobile phones, but how would that work in practice? Well, I'll give you a, a different example that might be more simple. So in Africa, when you when people want to send money to each other, and I'm saying in Africa in general, this is like a, an average across the continent. It typically costs more than 10% just to send money from person to person. Now, living in the U.S., as you and I do, we can do that for free, and it's pretty easy. Uh, out there, it's not, especially if someone wants to transact internationally. So if we were to imagine that, let's say, Bitcoin uh, gained mass adoption across the African continent, that would be very life-changing for a lot of people. They could not only send money at a, at a very minimal cost, but they can do it uh, instantly. And they would also be, uh, it would open the door for them to uh, transact uh, globally. Whereas right now, I would say that financial transactions are uh, very uh, limited in terms of their geographic scope for people living in some of the countries that I mentioned. So it'll be a lot cheaper and easier for them to send money to their family or friends. Right. And so what that does is um, from a business standpoint, you know, if you're a business owner in a developing country, this puts more financial power in the hands of, of the direct producers. There are less intermediaries required to help uh, money get from point A to point B, that money can be sent directly. So when that happens, there's uh, an increase in quality of life. Additionally, this opens the door for more competitive services and products because people are not limited to, you know, they don't have to, for instance, you know, be approved by some financial institution that might approve some and might not approve others. They don't have to be limited by their uh, geographic location. So if someone, you know, lives in a remote area and they would have to, you know, take a a drive for several hours to get to the nearest bank and then wait in, in line for like an entire day to 
open an account and, and, uh, get something done, you know, that can all happen very, very quickly if they were on the Bitcoin network, for instance. Now, obviously, this whole scenario has a lot of obstacles today from uh, coming true, but this is part of the vision of, of what things would look like and how things would change. What are some of the hurdles or roadblocks that you foresee for crypto to really take off in developing nations? So today in the developed world, there are three primary ways that you can obtain cryptocurrency. So the first is from an online exchange, and this requires having a bank account uh, in order to deposit fiat currency onto the exchange and then trade it. Uh, the second is acquiring it from uh, local people or businesses by exchanging cash, basically buying it from someone in person or, or perhaps by exchanging labor, basically working for someone in exchange for crypto. That requires being in a community that has uh, sufficiently adopted crypto where you can you know, go to meetups or you can find people who, who are looking to sell uh, so you can buy it from them or, or that has businesses that, that pay in crypto. I mean, hard to find outside of probably like San Francisco. Uh, and the third is by mining it yourself. So that requires expensive mining hardware, high-speed internet connection, and lots of electricity. So all three of these methods that are the ones that we conventionally know about today are close to impossible by definition when you look at the developing world because they're, they're missing the fundamental building blocks or the fundamental requirements to acquire crypto in these ways. So does that mean that this is never going to happen and that we're screwed? <laughs> <laughs> it means that, that it's probably going to take some time for blockchain to spread into uh, developing countries uh, in a really meaningful way. But there are ways that, that I think potentially it could happen sooner. One idea or, or one possibility is uh, through uh, remittances. So there are a lot of people in, uh, who live in developed nations. They have family members in developing nations. They send money home on a regular basis. They use these intermediaries that rob them blind. It's very unfair, like Western Union and whatnot. And if the people, family members who are here in the developed world decide that they're going to start using cryptocurrency to disintermediate their transactions and they get their family members back home to get a crypto wallet and, you know, you know, if they can get an internet connection. That can be the start of crypto really infiltrating those borders. Another suggestion that I've heard is that mobile carriers use the Bitcoin network to facilitate their uh, payments, kind of like improving upon uh, what they're already doing right now. I think that SMS-based Bitcoin wallets are, are possible. And I've thought about that and brainstormed that a little bit. I think security is a challenge, but it, it could be a solvable challenge. The issue is that all transaction and balance information would need to travel over the carrier network unencrypted. Or maybe there can be a solution that, that fixes that. I'm not sure. Because we're talking about a lot of people who are using old school flip phones, dumb phones, basically. 
But the good news is that there are now smartphones available for under $25. So, you know, people can get access to uh, more advanced devices. I mean, I think that people are surprised to find out how widespread smartphones are in developing nations, like you referenced earlier. I mean, yes, sometimes there are these dumb phones, but more and more so, as you said, there's there's cost-effective solutions, and more and more so, I think smartphones are being utilized in in places where you may not expect. Yeah, I actually spent time, uh, when I was in Brazil, I spent a lot of time in a favela, uh, which is a slum called Santa Marta. And I was very surprised to find out that a lot of people living in the slum were uh, had smartphones, actually. So that, that was uh, really cool to see. And that gave me hope in terms of the flow of um, socially impactful technologies into places that really need it. You know, there is a very large unbanked population in the world. So uh, I read recently, actually, there was a World Bank report from just a, f- a few years ago that said uh, 46% of adults in developing countries don't have bank accounts. So, and the, the reason for that is not only poverty, it's also the costs of uh, setting up and maintaining an account, the travel distance from people who live in uh, remote or rural areas who don't have banks in their communities, the paperwork that's involved. Now, these are all factors that keep people unbanked. And so this impacts these people's access to all kinds of conventional financial services like remittances, depository accounts, lending. And um, there's a very interesting phenomenon that I saw when I was in, in East Africa. It started in Kenya. There's a, it's called mobile money. It's called, it has different names in different countries, but I, I I know that uh, it started in Kenya under a project called M-Pesa. It's M-P-E-S-A, which is uh, basically a payment network that lets you uh, send money via SMS through your mobile carrier. And actually, I was uh, just reading about this recently, that in Kenya, 25% of the country's GDP actually flows through M-Pesa mobile payments. So it has uh, uh, generated massive adoption, and it's solving a massive problem. So if people are wondering, you know, do people in these countries even uh, care about digital payments? Would they even use it if it was available to them? I, I think the very strong case that you can make is pointing to these mobile money networks that have uh, really blown up. What's so interesting, I think, is that they weren't even made for that. It was just a uh, like the people cr- came up with that solution. You know, they said phone minutes have value, so I'll send you phone minutes since they retain their value. And this became a phenomenon that all of a sudden the phone companies started cluing into. Like, there's way more minutes than people are using. Exactly. Being transacted. And from, and from there, it grew into actually, you know, sending money and it's essentially a way that um, people who were cut off from the traditional financial system were able to participate. And that has changed the face of um, how businesses can run. It has changed people's lives in a major way. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been such a fascinating discussion. You've brought up so many great examples. I'm curious if you have any resources um, that you might recommend for those who are looking to learn more about 
cryptocurrencies. I mean, you obviously have family and friends who approached you about this topic and consulting clients, but what resources do you generally recommend for people looking to learn more? A book that I think is essential reading, especially for anyone who is thinking about investing in cryptocurrency, um, is called Crypto Assets. Uh, the author is... I don't really Chris know Berniski? Yeah, I don't I really know how to pronounce his last name. Berniski, I guess. That's a great book that I think people should totally look into. There are some interesting uh, online courses that are popping up. Uh, I actually took one that I thought was fantastic through the University of Nicosia. They have a master's program in digital currencies. And they have a free uh, MOOC course. That's a fantastic. I've never heard of that. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. That's great to know about. Yeah, and the instructors are great. It's um, taught by uh, Antonis Palamides and Andreas Antonopoulos. Andreas is a major figure, especially in the Bitcoin community. He's and he's written um, some of the most like authoritative books, uh, both on Bitcoin and Ethereum, that are taught in many classrooms, and so it's a really high quality class. Actually, I think, now that you mentioned that, I think that we did have uh, one of our team members take that course here, and she really loved it as well. Got a lot out of it. Great recommendations. Thank you. And then how can people keep up to date with, um, like, either get in touch with you directly or keep up to date with what you're up to at Immutable Capital? Uh, You can check out our website. It's uh, immutablecapital.fund. It might be kind of anticlimactic when you go to our website if you're expecting uh, tons of content. But yeah, you can reach us there. I also write a blog that I post to uh, once in a while. It's at profound.af. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I write about uh, different things that are on my mind. Um, sometimes blockchain, sometimes stuff that has nothing to do with blockchain. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Jeremy, for taking the time to chat with me here today. I really appreciate it and got a lot out of the conversation and I think our audience will too. Thank you. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Uh, Happy to chat with you about crypto anytime.